focus on headliner. All right, let's take a look at what major issues are making the headlines today on Focus on Headline. For this, first of all, joining us in the studio, we have Lee Ji-sun. Ji-sun, hello to you. Hello, hello. And uh, joining us for the first time here on Korea Now, we have a new reporter in Kukdayan. Dayan, hello to you. Good evening. It is good to have you on our Korea Now program. She is going to be part of our Focus on Headline panel here. Uh, nevertheless, uh, let's start things off with the Korean economy. The uh, UN administration, uh, it's really a lot to tackle right now. Uh, they've announced their first planned tax code revisions for 2022 on Thursday. We did expect some of these uh, to happen, including, of course, the, the corporate tax scheme as well. But uh, nevertheless, uh, we have three major changes ahead here. ji give us the latest on this. Yes, the South Korean government announced the 2022 tax code revision today. And this is the first tax revision since Yoon suk the incumbent president, took office on May this year. Uh, a government official said that the revisions are aimed to help support businesses and people and to ultimately support the nation overcome, quote-unquote, crisis, uh, complex crisis. And this was a term used by the finance chief of the country. This year's tax revision has its focus on growth led by the private sector, and the latest revision aims to improve the competitiveness of the Korean companies. Government officials said that these changes will help companies invest more and employ more people, and that these changes will meet the global standards. And there are three major changes. One, lowering the top rate of corporate tax to 22%. Two, easing the property tax burden for homeowners with large real estate assets. And three, reducing the tax burden on people with low income. And Taeyeon will tell us more on the third one. Uh, first, the major change in the revision has to do with corporate tax. Uh, currently, the top corporate tax rate stands at 25% and it will be lower to 22%. The government will also help SMEs by expanding the lowest corporate tax bracket, so more small companies will be in this bracket, which will definitely lower their tax. This, uh, the second major change is in the real estate taxes. People or companies with large real estate assets in Korea are paying extra tax for simply possessing properties. Uh, currently, owners of two or more residential properties that cost more than $600 million in total must pay extra tax. However, now that threshold will go up to $900 million won, which is about $700,000 U.S. dollars. Those who own a single home that costs over $1.1 billion have been paying extra tax for holding property, but that threshold will be raised to $1.2 billion, just over $900,000. But just for 2022, it will be temporarily raised to $1.4 billion. Won. And in addition, how we calculate property ownership tax will change. As of now, the calculation method is simply like this. The more housing you own, the higher tax rate. So right now, if someone owns three houses that total up to $2 billion per se, they have to pay more taxes than a person with a single house that is worth $3 billion won. So the person with a single house that they live in must pay more, and that is why some say it is far from equity. But under the latest revision, the tax rates will depend on the total house price, and this is an effort to make the property more balanced, according to an expert. Yeah, I'm just going to say this has absolutely nothing to do with me. Uh, I'm just going to put it out there. None of my, I have one house that's nowhere near anything close to that price. I don't know if it's a good thing or a sad thing, 
Uh, but I will take the less tax here. I'm going to have what I can afford here. Uh, so I guess with this, uh, Chison did hint that uh, Taeyeon is going to be telling us uh, about the third change here. With this, the government plans to decrease tax burdens on low-income citizens. Uh, Taeyeon, uh, provide us with the details of this. Right. So the third change is reducing the tax burden on people with low income. And the government plans to decrease the tax burden on those in the two lowest income brackets, which will provide financial stability, hopefully, to citizens amid the rising inflation. However, those earning more than 120 million won will see the amount they can deduct from their income tax reduced. And furthermore, more meal expenses will be exempt from tax for workers. So the limit for tax-free meals at work will be doubled to 200,000 won or roughly $150 a month. And the government is also going to implement measures to aid industries recovering from the pandemic. So for instance, to help the movie industry recover, the government will make movie tickets tax deductible from July next year. And with all of these changes, the tax code revision will lead to a roughly $10 billion drop in tax revenue. And the government plans to submit the bill to the National Assembly by September at the very latest. All right. Uh, we've also been talking about inflation uh, for some quite time. Uh, let's face it, it is... Uh pretty rough uh, and uh, it's affecting not just here uh, all of us here in South Korea but uh, the rest of the world as well I mean you had the US Fed raising their uh, interest rates a multiple times and it's not just an ordinary hike uh, we saw big steps we saw giant steps taking place uh, the BOK following suit with a, a giant a big step of uh, 50 basis points now uh, highly likely that it is going to be the ECB's turn and uh, it is very rare to see the ECB raise their interest mm -hmm. rate hike so Chisan uh, tell us more about this and that's right, SJ. The European Central Bank is set to hike interest rates for the first time in 11 years on Thursday local time. Uh, the economic outlook is grim and it doesn't seem likely that it will get any better because as we all know inflation is still rising and the growth of the world economy is slowing very fast. The ECB is set to rise their inter interest rate for the first time since July 13th in 2011 this week and this is because of the surging inflation and euros drop below parity with the dollar. Also in Europe there has been an impression that the policymakers are not responding to the economic uncertainties and changes as fast as they should. The president of the ECB has described a 0.25% or a quarter point increase as a quote-unquote intention while highlighting that no concrete decision has been made yet. Uh, most experts are expecting a 0.25% increase, while some are saying that there is still a case for a half-point move this week. According to the Reuters, a survey on 63 economic experts show that all but one expert said that they expect a quarter point increase. They also said that it is very likely that there will be an incremental hike in the rates. Uh, we're going to have to see and wait and see and how uh, the European market and the European people are going to take the ECB's decision amidst the political turmoil going on in Italy. Yeah, what's interesting with the ECB is I, I think they have a, a negative 
interest rate is what it is. I think it's like negative point five zero percent, and they haven't raised their interest rates in like eleven years or something like that. Which I think, Chisan, uh, you mentioned here. Uh, a lot of market experts are saying, "Listen, I mean, Europe right now. I mean, inflation is out of control. A twenty five basis point increase isn't not going to be enough." But uh, according to some of the sources, uh, ECB officials are saying, nah, I mean, listen, we just got to go with 25. But again, it is highly likely that later on in the year, they'll raise it once again. So maybe increments mm-hmm. of 25 basis points, just see how things are going. But some of the market analysts are saying, I mean, 25 basis point just isn't enough right this uh, right now with the current economic situation in Europe. Uh, we're going to move on to the domestic front this time. The Asian Development Bank having raised South Korea's 2022 inflation outlook to 4.5%. Not to mention slashing the economic growth outlook to a mere 2.6%. Uh, this in their most recent outlook report. So, Taeyeon, uh, give us more details on this. Yes, the Asian Development Bank, commonly referred to as ADB, provides updated economic growth forecasts for Asia four times a year, with the initial yearly forecast announced in April, followed by supplementary outlooks in June to July, revised outlooks in September, and the final supplementary report in December. Now, in the most recent Asian Development Outlook 2022 report supplement announced today, the ADB slashed South Korea's economic growth for 2022 to 2.6%, which is 0.4% lower than its previous outlook of 3% in April. Now, the bank cited that although Korea's strong external demand made up for the decrease in consumption and investment, the slowdown in the global economic growth and central banks' aggressive rate hikes will most likely hinder robust growth. And meanwhile, the ADB also slashed its 2022 growth forecast for developing Asia from 5.2% in April to only 4.6%. And the bank cited external factors once again for the slowdown, naming the economic fallout from Russia-Ukraine war and aggressive tightening by global central banks to tame inflation. Now, as for inflation, the number took a step in the opposite direction, unfortunately, as the ADB sharply raised the inflation outlook for South Korea to 4.5%, which is 1.3% higher than its April forecast of 3.2%. And the bank claimed that the inflation in Korea will be driven by ongoing recovery from COVID and elevated global commodity prices, just like, of course, the rest of Asia. ADB's inflation outlook for Korea is slightly higher than Korea Development Institute's forecast of 4.2%, the same as the Bank of Korea's forecast, and lower than the Seoul government's forecast of 4.7%. You know what's crazy about this is uh, the fact that if even if they do raise the inflation outlook for 4.5%, and that's high, uh, but does it feel like 4.5? No, it mm-hmm. doesn't. It feels a lot higher than 4.5 is the big problem right now. And uh, you look at some of the... Uh, you know, the products that we're used to buying. I keep mentioning that uh, 4 4 10,001 beers that I used to buy all the time uh, at the convenience stores, they're now 11,000, so that's a 10% hike. So that, that's how I feel. I feel like it's like a 10% inflation rate right now. Uh, certainly a lot of people feeling this. Uh, but again, with fluctuations on these uh, consumer prices and so forth, really intensifying, uh, leaders from all around the world are 
uh, quite busy trying to figure out uh, how to go about resolving these issues. Uh, a U.S.-led ministerial forum on supply chain in Korea, uh, obviously also taking part in this very forum. So, ji tell us more about this forum. The U.S. Department of Commerce and the Department of State led a forum to tackle issues and surrounding global supply chain. And this forum was a ministerial forum, and that was held virtually. And Korea, along with other key partners of the U.S., participated. Uh, Korea's ministers of trade and foreign affairs attended this virtual forum in the late evening yesterday. This forum was co-hosted by the U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken and Secretary of Commerce Gina Raimondo to discuss ways to make the supply chain more resilient to uncertainties in the world. In detail, they discussed how to reduce short-term bottlenecks and long-term challenges related to supply chain. The U.S. President Joe Biden has been emphasizing the need to diversify supply chains and to be less affected by China's growing influence. Korea's top diplomat Park Jin and Seoul's top trade official In Dokun joined with their counterparts from 18 other countries, including Japan. However, China was not on the list. During the event, An Dokun, the trade minister, reaffirmed Korea's commitment to promote and I quote, proactive cooperation through various multilateral consultative channels, unquote. Uh, Korea's top diplomat Park Jin told the other countries about Korea's efforts to make the supply chain more resilient, and he told them about Korea's, quote unquote, early warning system. Uh, the meanwhile, the United States decided to continue its anti-dumping duty order on uh, Korean cold roll steel flat products. Uh, this is quite interesting. She's, uh, tell us what was decided here. Yes, the U.S. International Trade Commission decided to continue the existing U.S. anti-dumping duty order on Korean cold rolled steel flat products on Wednesday. Uh, this existing duty was in place for five years, and by yesterday's ruling, it will be extended to another five years. And this comes under the five-year review process required by the Uruguay Round Agreements Act. And this was because they came up with the conclusion that revoking the existing anti-dumping duty on imports of steel products from nations such as China, India, Italy, South Korea, and Taiwan will blow a heavy toll on steel product producers in the U.S. And according to the commission, lifting the duties will lead to, and I quote, material injury within a reasonably foreseeable time. Unfortunately for Korean producers, including POSCO, since the first ruling in 2016, exports to the U.S. have fallen greatly, so there won't be any more additional damage coming from the latest ruling. Uh, Taeyeon, I know it's uh, the first time you're joining us on the program today, so uh, just a little thing about myself. Uh, I like to complain about the rising oil prices, gasoline <laughs> prices, fuel prices, and how much money I'm spending on a weekly basis mm. to fill up my tank. Uh, but it does seem like, uh, in some ways, the soaring oil prices have uh, stabilized a bit. I'm hoping forever, but I think it's, a lot of people are saying it might be short term because of the tax breaks that we're seeing from the government. We had the domestic gasoline prices finally slipping below 2,000 Korean won per liter, uh, which doesn't affect me because I drive a diesel and diesel is more expensive than gasoline nowadays and still over 2,000 on that front. Uh, but for many of the gasoline uh, car drivers out there. This is a, a, a great news for them. So tell, tell us more about this. 
Right. So as you've mentioned, we've recently been seeing an almost unprecedented rise in oil prices. But hopefully the situation does seem to be turning around for the better. Amid a downward trend in global oil prices coupled with the government's expanded 37% fuel tax cut this month, domestic gasoline prices have finally plunged below 2,001 per liter for the first time in almost two months. According to oil price portal Opinite, run by the Korea National Oil Corporation, the average price of gasoline sold at pumps nationwide fell 3.331 to 1,998.831 per liter as of 8 a.m. today. So to give you some background, Korea's gasoline prices surged beyond 2,001 per liter on March 15th, which was a first in around nine and a half years, of course, due to the Ukraine-Russian war. And gas prices continued to rise ever since, peaking at 2,144.91 per liter on the last day of June. And the price of diesel was also at its highest at the time, recording 2,167.661 per liter. However, the worst does seem to be over, as I stressed again, as gasoline and diesel prices are expected to continue to be on the downfall for some time now. And also, Kwon Sung-dong, the floor leader of the People Power Party, declared in his speech during the National Assembly plenary session today that the current administration and the PPP will pass a bill to expand the fuel tax cut further as soon as the National Assembly normalizes and that the tax cut will last until the end of this year. So this will most likely help contain the gasoline and diesel price hikes. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's it's so expensive. Uh, it's not even funny right now. I, I, I miss the good old days when it only cost me about 50 Korean won to fill up my tank. It's about uh, 90 to 95 nowadays. It's almost doubled uh, since. But uh, uh, we'll see how much of these uh, tax cuts will help us uh, ordinary citizens and our drivers out there. Uh, also, with all the economic fluctuations and uncertainties, we still have the impact of uh, COVID-19 looming over us, uh, certainly affecting the Korean corporates. Uh, they're noting a decline in number of employees. Uh, so, Jisun, tell us about this. So according to Leaders Index, an industry analysis organization on Thursday, Korean corporations are reporting a decline in numbers of employees since the pandemic. And this is especially so for employees under 30, so those in their 20s. Leaders Index analyzed the size of the workforce in 72 major companies in Korea and it showed that the number of employees dropped by 4% overall since 2019. But for employees under the age of 30, that number went up to as high as 23.4%, and the number of employees over 50 in the company increased by 12.5%, and now they account for over 25% of all employees. That means that one in every four employees is over the age of 50. Wait, so we're see- what we're seeing right now is we're mm-hmm. seeing an increase of the older uh, employees, but uh, the younger generation, like those in their 20s and 30s, there's a drop in a number of uh, workers there on that mm-hmm. front, right? So if you see the total rate, the number of the people who are in their 20s are disappearing. But if you see the overall rate, it means that the people who are older, they get a bigger portion. Right, 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 yeah. right. I want to. I wonder why. Because Is it really because of COVID-19 that a lot of people in their 20s are quit? 
uh, representing 20s, uh, Taeyeon, why are you guys quitting so much? Is what I want to ask. Well, at least we like to say we hired her. So I guess, you know, the number of uh, people we're hiring in their 20s has just gone up. I guess it means up. that just the people are, the corporates are hiring less and less new people. Well, we just hired someone new in Taeyeon. So, uh, we welcome you, Taeyeon. Thank you. We're, 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 we're doing a fantastic job going against this uh, COVID-19 yes. trend here. Uh, let's move on to some uh, diplomatic news on this, uh, the ongoing, I guess, uh, talks with Japan with Foreign Minister Park Jin. Uh, he did arrive in Korea after making his visit to Japan on Wednesday. And, uh, of course, uh, I believe he went on Monday. So he was there in uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Uh, the top diplomats of South Korea and Japan have been planned to discuss the pending bilateral issues. Uh, of course, the one that has been... Uh, the, the elephant in the room, right? Uh, wartime forced labor victim compensation. Uh, Jisomia was also mentioned as well. Tanya, what seems to be the outcome of the uh, Foreign Minister Park Jin's visit to Tokyo? Right. So the Foreign Minister Park Jin's visit on the 19th of July marked the first time for Seoul's top diplomat to travel to Japan in more than four years for one-on-one -on -one talks with his local counterpart. And the previous visit was in December 2017 when Kang Kyung-hwa, the Foreign Minister at that time, visited Japan for such a bilateral session. And during his three-day stay in Japan, the Foreign Minister, of course, had one-on-one -on -one talks with his Japanese counterpart, Yoshimasa Hayashi, and paid a courtesy call to Japanese Prime Minister Fumio Kishida as well as the other senior officials and politicians. In Kimpo Airport on Wednesday, Park Jin discussed the outcome of the bilateral session. He first stated that the two countries will continue to resolve past diplomatic issues, mainly focusing on Japan's export restrictions that were imposed against Korea in 2019. And this is especially timely, seeing that the world is, of course, suffering from the supply chain bottlenecks and shortages. And then another important outcome of the visit was the clear intention from both sides to continue talks on normalizing Jisomia. So the General Security of Military Information Agreement, JUSOMIA, between Korea and Japan was the very first intelligence-sharing agreement between the two nations since Korea's liberation from Imperial Japan in 1945 that established terms for the protection and handling of classified military information. And JUSOMIA is widely regarded as having been underused since 2019 when Seoul allowed the JUSOMIA to lapse in protest of Tokyo's unilateral export curbs against Seoul. Foreign Minister Park Jin also communicated to Japan regarding Seoul's ongoing efforts to resolve forced labor compensation issues, and he does believe that the Japanese government will respond positively to South Korea's ongoing efforts. Now, topics such as facilitating people-to-people -people exchanges as well as improving the sentiment of the two countries' citizens towards one another were covered, and the possibility of resuming visa-free entry in both countries also did come up, but the conversation didn't lead to any concrete plans or actions. Yeah, I'm just kind of curious as to, again, if, it, if Foreign Minister Park Jin did come out and say that uh, he believes that the Japanese government will respond positively to South Korea's efforts. I mean, the big thing here is uh, the forced labor compensation issue, right? And so, 
you know, Japan definitely said that, I mean, we are not going to pay anything. And, uh, you know, the victims certainly want some kind of compensation. And how do you uh, make both sides happy here? So I, I am wondering if they were actually able to find middle ground here, because it, it does seem very difficult uh, to find that very middle ground. Uh, we're going to move on to uh, some North Korea related news. Uh, we have been... Wow, I mean, 2022 has been a rough year. A uh, lot of provocations from North Korea. Um, certainly the leaders, you know, South Korea, Japan, also the United States, uh, everyone around the region uh, on their toes right now because whether or not North Korea is going to be conducting that seventh nuclear test. Uh, what was recently revealed, I believe, by the Wall Street Journal uh, earlier today was that the U.S. Strategic Command, they held a, a special forum to discuss North Korea's nuclear program. The interesting thing with this is th it's not like they had this meeting just recently. <laughs> it happened mm -hmm. back in May, but now they're revealing uh, what was being discussed here. So, Chisan, uh, tell, tell us what, what was discussed in that forum. Well, that's right. This was the first for the headquarters of the U.S. Strategic Command to talk only about North Korea and its nuclear capabilities. The U.S. intelligence authorities held this forum on May, like you said, but it was reported by the Wall Street Journal on Wednesday local time. According to the Wall Street Journal, dozens of U.S. intelligence officials and military officers, along with experts, held a forum on May 23rd and May 24th in Omaha, Nebraska, which is where the headquarters of the U.S. Strategic Command is situated. Uh, Office of the Director, uh, official of the Director of National Intelligence and the Defense Intelligence Agency hosted this forum, and until this forum, only Chinese and Russian nuclear powers were dealt at the strategic command. And this clearly shows how much the U.S. intelligence is focusing on the nuclear threats of North Korea. And it has been said that some of the participants expressed concern that in the event of armed conflict, North Korean leader Kim Jong-un might be resorting to small nuclear weapon to pressure South Korea and the U.S. into making uh, concessions. Uh, during the forum, the officials exchanged their thoughts on Pyongyang's nuclear capabilities, such as miniaturizing nuclear heads, and whether there is a chance that North Korea will ever give up its nuclear forces. One senior military official insisted that there is zero chance that will happen. Yeah, I mean, this is something that I mentioned on the program as well. I mean, uh, myself and uh, Professor Robert Kelly of uh, Busan National University, we've had extensive talks on North Korea's nuclear threats. And the, the biggest thing that came out for North Korea, North Korea re learned something really important during this uh, Russian invasion of Ukraine. Uh, one of the main reasons for why no one is really attacking Russia, as in the Western allies like the United States and so forth, is because Russia has a lot of nuclear weapons. They have like a thousand plus nuclear weapons. And they're, they're actually one of those countries. Like North Korea, I think, highly unlikely they'll, they'll use a nuclear weapon uh, in any kind of situation. But Russia, they're, I mean, they're they're they can use nuclear weapons. And so that's the reason why. I mean, they use it as deterrence. And so they learned that having nuclear weapons is going to be the only way to protect themselves. I do not see North Korea ever uh, giving up their nuclear weapons. So I, I believe um, that the senior military official that you were talking about here uh, was saying basically like now the United States and South Korea, they shouldn't work towards denuclearization, but instead they should work on deterrence as in trying to get them to ease up on the number of nuclear weapons that they can create 
or say, listen, just stop uh, testing nuclear weapons and so <laughs> forth. Uh, denuclearization, unfortunately, according to some of the officials at that forum saying it's out of the picture now. It really is uh, unfortunate here. Uh, we are going to talk about uh, climate change. Uh, some people call it climate crisis, which uh, I really agree. And this is something we just can't veer away from these days. Uh, scorching heat continuing to engulf the world. Uh, Polina Maldonado, I know you're uh, tuning into our program today as well. She's in the UK. She was telling us about just scorching temperatures uh, she saw over there. Polina, how's the, the weather there? Uh, tell us about that. Uh, it's not just the UK. It's a number of other countries in the UK. I had a chance to speak to my buddy over in New York. He said, I, my goodness, it is the hottest temperature he's experienced mm. in 35 plus years that he's been alive. Uh, Tayan, tell us more about the current state right now. Yes, I absolutely agree with USJ on the word crisis. So we've been hearing the warnings from countless climate change pundits over the last decade or so, and the consequences are finally unraveling in the West. To start off with, more than 100 million people from New York City to Las Vegas in the United States are under heat alerts this week as temperatures rise well above 38 degrees Celsius. So this means that one-third of the U.S. population is under heat alerts now, and the highest temperatures are centered over the southern plains where, with the temperature forecasted to soon reach 44.4 degrees Celsius in Texas. And the heat is expected to linger throughout much of this week across the country as cities report record-breaking temperatures from coast to coast. Yeah, I mean, like the southern states, right? Like, they, they're kind of used to seeing these high temperatures, but not like 44 degrees. Mm -hmm. I think if, like, the temperature is like 44 degrees, like they see that in uh, Death Valley, uh, in, I think that's in Nevada. It, it's, it's in between uh, California and Nevada, I believe, Death Valley. It's, it's a desert. So, I mean, it's super hot. But, uh, I mean, these temperatures, thousands of people, I believe, are dying in Europe because of these heat waves. Um, it's just, it's scary. It is a, it's a climate crisis. It went from climate change to climate crisis, in my opinion. Uh, also, uh, I guess similar, but if not more serious, these consequences, like I said, uh, happening in Europe as well. So, Tanya, let's also get the details of the situation in Europe. Yes, so Europe is also grappling with its own deadly heat wave, as the most recent heat wave in southwestern Europe has claimed the lives of at least 1,500 people so far. Now, the heat wave in Portugal is estimated to have claimed the lives of 1,063 people between July 7th and 18th alone, according to the Portuguese Health Ministry. And this seems to be one of the worst heat waves on record for Portugal and the country's highest ever temperature for July so far stands at 47 degrees Celsius. Situations are similar in Spain. Spain's Ministry of Health reported that 679 people had lost their lives between July 10th to the 17th due to the second heat wave of the summer. Jeez. And going over to France, now over 14,000 people in western France fled from wildfires in what can only be described as a heat apocalypse, basically. Around 110 square kilometers of land was destroyed by the wildfire in western France, which is approximately 37 times the size of Yeoido in Seoul. 
Now, as the hot air moves across Western Europe to Northern Europe, the heat wave is now also wreaking havoc in Nordic nations. And Denmark reported the highest ever recorded temperature for July on the 20th. In neighboring Sweden, the Swedish Meteorological and Hydrological Institute issued an alert covering large parts of the city on the 20th and the 21st as the temperature reached 30 to 35 degrees. Yeah, I mean, these Nordic countries are not used to these temperatures. Mm -hmm. And, uh, man, I I remember here in our program, we're talking to a uh, climate expert, and she was saying that what's really concerning are these Nordic countries, like even like Greenland, right? Like Greenland's seeing like temperatures that they've never seen before, and it's really messing up their environment. uh, And uh, this is unreal. Anyone who says global warming is not real, you got to be kidding me right now. Uh, Temperature in Europe. Uh, luckily for us, I mean, we had like a brief heat wave. I mean, we know who knows what's going to happen once the monsoon season is over with, because that's when like the the real heat comes here in South Korea. But uh, if you're in those regions that we talked about, uh, please try to stay cool. Try not to go outside. And uh, most importantly, uh, you need to hydrate yourself. Uh, the United States, again, uh, one of the countries that are at the forefront of preventing climate change, especially after a uh, change in administration, right? Uh, former President Donald Trump was not a big fan of uh, tackling climate crisis well, and climate change. He didn't believe that it exists. So. Yeah, yeah. It's like he, he, I believe, I think it was uh, Trump that also uh, pulled out of the uh, the Paris Agreement, right? The Paris Accord. Mm-hmm. with. Uh, but, uh, I mean, once uh, the administration changed, uh, Joe Biden's making changes left and right. Uh, we had Joe Biden make a new announcement on Wednesday regarding climate change. Jisun, uh, tell us more about this. So on Wednesday local time, President Joe Biden announced new initiatives to fight climate change. Uh, previously, the Democrats urged the Biden administration to issue a climate emergency declaration. And this was because there was less progress in the negotiations over major environmental legislation. Uh, President Joe Biden announced new executive steps that include providing $2.3 billion U.S. billion in funding for programs that are designed to help prepare for damages caused by natural disasters such as flooding and also restoring the infrastructure from the damages as well. Also, the initiatives include providing funding to help the vulnerable, particularly those in the low-income bracket, to pay for heating or cooling costs. Uh, Joe Biden also told the Department of the Interior to create more wind turbines in offshore wind areas in the Gulf of Mexico, and this is an effort to provide clean energy and wind energy generated in these areas could power more than 3 million homes in the U.S. Yeah, we're certainly hoping that these uh, efforts are uh, going to change and uh, stop the climate crisis that we're seeing worldwide here. And it steps, it starts with each individual countries, but it is a global warming, which means mm-hmm. all the countries uh, they need all have to, to chip in. Yeah, exactly. It just can't be one or two, right? Uh, but let's talk about the, the Democrats urging the U.S. administration to declare a climate emergency is what they're saying. Uh, why are they urging the administration this particular climate emergency and uh, what are they expecting uh, what happened if that were to happen. So going back to the Democrats urging the Biden administration to immediately declare a quote-unquote 
climate emergency. Well, Joe Biden did not announce climate change as national emergency yesterday. But to give you some background information, seven Democratic legislators, among uh, along with the environmental groups, have been urging the president to issue an emergency declaration. And if the declaration happens, they can leverage federal resources to tackle climate change. Also, the declaration to, uh, can unlock the powers of the National Emergency Act and can give the administration some power to impose restriction to some fossil fuel plants, including uh, oil or gas drilling, and shift their gears towards clean energy plans. You know, I have a question, uh, not to you guys, uh, <laughs> but my thing is, like, why is it just the Democrat uh, legislators that are pushing for this. Like, why aren't any of the Republicans are realizing that, man, this is a big problem right now and they need to make changes. I don't know why uh, there is a, I guess... A, like a political divide. Yeah, yeah. Well, why is there a political divide when it comes to, you know, the climate stuff? Because I could understand with, like, gun control, right? I mean, mm. you know, the Republicans are kind of really lobbied by the NRA. Uh, but with this, I just don't understand. It's just, it's not a question for you guys. It's more of a rhetorical question. But nevertheless, uh, mm. Polina Maldonado chiming in saying, uh, temperature here is boiling hot. And she... You, Paulina never uses emojis, and uh, if, if, when she, if she's using the emojis that show that she's hot, it is pretty hot there. Mm. I hope you're staying. She's serious. Yeah, she, she's serious there. Jisun uh, Tayan, thank you very much. Uh, by the way, we had like a whole bunch of different names being called for Tayan. Uh, I just want to make this clear now. Uh, <laughs> Besby, she is not Taya. It's Tayan. Uh, Benny, her name is not Tayang. It's Tayan. So uh, you'll be hearing more from her in our program. So let, let me just get clear out the name here. It takes time yes, because yes. Uh, ji for the longest time, she was called ji So So uh, there you have it. Guys, thank you very much. Stay safe, stay cool, and we'll see you guys again. Thank you. Thank you. You can listen to Korea Now with me, SJ Lee, by downloading the Arirang Radio application or tune in online by visiting www.arirangradio.com. So make sure you tune in Mondays through Fridays, 6 p.m. to 8 p.m. Korea time.